Hey, this is Jewel Beshavarapu, and you're listening to the Infertility Life Coach Podcast, Episode 10. Welcome to the Infertility Life Coach Podcast, a show for smart, type A millennial women who want to get off the emotional roller coaster of infertility for good. If you want to learn how coaching can prime your body and mind for pregnancy, then this is the show for you. I'm your host, Jewel Bejvarpu, and I am an infertility and endometriosis warrior, as well as a certified life coach. Are you ready? Let's go. Hello, my friends. Welcome to this week's episode of the Infertility Life Coach Podcast. And today is a super special day because I have my fellow coach and friend here, Danielle Savory, to talk about sex while struggling with infertility. So this episode is going to be so helpful because if you're anything like me, baby making sex after months and months or years and years of trying often feels like a chore or a job. It is no longer fun. It's no longer romantic. And like, really, it stops being romantic after about month three, right? So It's no longer about connecting with your partner, but becomes focused on getting it right after so many failed attempts, getting it right with the timing, with the charts, the temperatures, the ovulation test strips, and making sure you stay lying down afterwards, just in case that old wives tale still works. And then if you're using reproductive technology, oftentimes you aren't even allowed to have sex. So sex while going through infertility is often equated with failure and lost dreams. But we want you to know it doesn't have to be this way. Now I look forward to trying to conceive because I've listened to Danielle's podcast. I've learned the principles and her podcast is called It's My Pleasure. So I want you to go check it out because it has changed my baby making sex from hard work to fun. And now I look forward to our trying to conceive week because that means a lot of great sex. I think I can speak for both of us, but we want you to have amazing sex no matter what is going on in your life. So now let me introduce you to Danielle. Danielle is the sex coach for women and she helps high achieving women have mind blowing sex lives. She is also the host of the popular podcast, which we talked about. It's my pleasure. And Danielle's work is at the intersection of neuroscience and sex and focuses on empowering women through better understanding of their minds and connecting with their bodies. She is featured on a number of podcasts and is known for taking a smart, humorous approach to an often delicate subject. So welcome, Danielle. So excited Mm. to have you. Yay. Thanks for that intro. That was fun to listen to. Baby making sex. Let's talk about it. Oh, yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you became a sex coach and what you do as a sex coach and maybe even about your own fertility journey? Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, okay, that's a lot of things and we'll just dive into each at a time. Okay. So let's start with um, me and my journey kind of to becoming this, which is also entangled in the infertility. So we can talk more in detail about that, I'm sure. But really for me, I 
you know, my backgrounds in neuroscience were very kind of high achieving, you know, perfectionist, Mm -hmm. (laughs) have to do the hardest thing sort of mindset. And uh, I also minored though in like philosophy and Buddhist, specifically Buddhist philosophy. And so I had this cognitive understanding of mindfulness and slowing down and being present and all of that. But like, I was not living my life like that at all. I just understood Mm -hmm. it. I thought it was amazing. I thought it was great. And it was a fun thing to talk about and to understand. And then later in life, that's when it was interesting because I had, uh, you know, I was on this trajectory. I wanted to be a brain surgeon and I just quit all of it. And I was like, this is isn't for me. This is for other people out there. (laughs) This isn't like the thing that I actually want to do. And right after I did that, I kind of fell apart. It's like, you know, when you have focused your entire life on being something or doing something, your whole identity Mm -hmm. is wrapped up in that. And then when you decide not to, there's like this disintegration of self. And that's really what I experienced. And I knew I wanted to help people. I knew I loved science. I love this stuff, but I just didn't know where I really belonged in the world. And at this time, I was also experiencing tons of physical pain and lots of chronic pain. And I was basically bedridden for two full years. I couldn't work. Tasa's daily living were really hard. And we were also trying to get pregnant at the same time. So Mm -hmm. there was all these things going on. And this is where I went back to, I went to a yoga class. My best friend really encouraged me. She's like, maybe this would help. Even though I couldn't do any of the poses, my instructor at the time encouraged me just to like lay on the mat and breathe and imagine myself doing the things that she was instructing the other students to do. And during that time was when I had my first awareness of this inner voice (laughs) that was like such an asshole. And I was like, no wonder I hurt so bad. No wonder I'm so afraid. No wonder this is like, everything felt like this struggle because I've got this like enemy living inside of me. That was my inner critic. And that like, that was kind of the moment everything switched. Then I really started diving into mindfulness and meditation. Uh, I started like finding the type of resources that were out there, which were very few at the time. Like now people are like, everybody knows about mindfulness, Mm -hmm. but back then it was pretty woo woo. It was pretty like I had to go to the special kind of bookstores to find books on meditation and mindfulness, right? Like it wasn't just in like Barnes and Noble or something, right? And so um, when I started doing that, I started finding these more like neuropsychologists and neuroscientists and these people that spoke more my language of it that allowed me to have I don't want to say faith in it, but it allowed me to attach to these type of practices in a way that felt better for me. And so during that, I was like, I want everybody to have this, like, this is incredible. And I want to talk about it the way that I understand it and that I experiencing it to put it out there. And so I started teaching mindfulness and meditation. I did like small women's groups. And then I learned about life coaching. I became a life coach and I knew right away, I wanted to focus on women's sexuality because of just my past through sexual trauma. Um, also what I had kind of come to and through using mindfulness and meditation to help my own sex life with 
struggling with infertility and chronic pain. And so it just felt like this perfect intersection. And it took me a while to come fully out of the closet as a sex coach, even though I started doing it when I got certified, what, six years ago or something like that. I didn't say that out loud really to the world. I kind of tried to, and then I like would shirk back because Mm -hmm. of the reaction. It was just not, it's just, it just wasn't as open as it is now talking and on social media about all of our things. And so, you know, I'm out loud and proud and talking about sex all the time now, but, um, you know, it took, it took a little bit of time to like make it well known to the world that this was my focus. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much for that. That was like such a powerful story. And could you, I know you've experienced infertility. You mentioned that. Could you tell us a little bit more about your story with infertility and specifically your relationship with sex on that journey? Yeah, for sure. So as I mentioned, I was dealing with chronic pain on top of uh, not not getting pregnant. So it was like both. And, you know, I remember my most predominant thought at that time was I'm broken. And I, you know, with my body, you know, here it was like, I couldn't shower some days. I couldn't drive myself to some doctor's appointments. Like I couldn't do regular things. And now I can't have a baby. And then I had a miscarriage. And so then I can't keep a baby. Once I got pregnant, I was like, what's the point? I was like, I hate my body. Like I had this very like hateful relationship towards my body. And I, and I struggle to call it like a a hate towards myself because I didn't see it that way. I mean, now I can see that like my body is obviously part of me, but I was just so negative towards my body. I was like, what's the point? Like, I can't, my body is failing me in every way. It's not letting me do the things I love. It's not letting me be with the people I love. It's not letting me create the kind of family that I want. It's not letting me connect with my partner. I was like, this is a waste. Like my body is literally a waste of space. I was so angry and upset and hateful towards my body because I really felt like it was the thing keeping me from everything I wanted in my life. And you know, my fertility journey, I want to say it was about three years total. And it was, um, you know, the struggle it took, like, it took some time to get pregnant. And then it was miscarriages and um, the, they're called the DNCs afterwards, because my body would really just hold on and I wouldn't miscarry on my own. So every time I had to get a DNC and, I never ended up having to do a lot uh, I to have intervention with my infertility. Mm-hmm. I did like acupuncture, I did all the herbs yeah. and and you know luckily that that was you know my abdominal massage, you know those sorts of things and that ended up working for me um and you know but I have so much empathy for anybody listening that's going through all of the other stuff my sister-in-law who I'm very close with, you know, I watched and witnessed and was with her when she went through that for, I don't even know how many years, seven years or something like that. So it's, I feel like one of the lucky ones in a lot of ways, you know, that, um, that it didn't have to, 
that I was able to get pregnant eventually. And um, it's a hard one. It feels, it's like one of those journeys that's so isolating to go through. No, I think what you're experiencing and what you were just saying, like so many of my clients and my listeners experience, and I've experienced the same thing. That thought I'm broken is so predominant in the infertility space. And something I work like every single session with my clients on is like, you know, rewiring our brains, self-love and caring for ourselves and thinking I'm broken. So I, I totally am right there with you. And so many women are, and I think it's so important for us to know that, Hey, like we're not alone in all this. No, no, not at all. Experience infertility and you know, this thought is so common. Yeah. And it, and it, and I, you know, you don't know that when you're going through it because it's just like you and this journey. And I remember even feeling isolated from my husband because Mm -hmm. they don't get it to a certain extent, right? Like the pain that we're feeling as far as feeling like our body is failing and this is something we should be able to do. And, you know, all of those thoughts and beliefs that were swimming in my head made it hard for my husband to understand completely and relate to that. And so, yeah, it felt really alone and it felt broken. And I think that when that all started, when I was going through all of that, that's really when I dove more into all of my practices of self-compassion and more of my practices of this. And that did end up supporting me through it. And I'm so glad that I had that, uh, you know, journey of infertility, because I don't know if I would have been learned how to develop such this level of love for myself and my body had everything worked fine. Always, (laughs) you know, it was like these things forced to that. Yes. Oh my gosh. That resonates with me so much. I feel like the coaching that I've received and the coaching that I've given myself during infertility, like has taught me self-love and compassion and empathy and like really how to feel my emotions and like sit with them like so much, so much. Yeah. Yeah. It becomes like this necessity to survive, you know, in a lot of ways and not, and to be able to like get out of bed and to interact with other humans, you know, it was like these kind of tools allowed me to do that again, because at the time, like I was in such a deep, dark mental spot, not just physically, but like mentally, it was like when you're in that place and like, it's like depression and you feel so low, it's like, you don't want to be around anybody else. You forget how to interact. You forget how to these. And like, these were the tools that pulled me out. But then once I did become a mother, I was like, holy shit, I'm totally ahead of the game. Like I know how now, like now I have this struggle of a newborn baby and like feeling like I'm losing myself in a different way. And I get to, now I have these tools that I learned through my struggle with infertility that I can now apply to being a mother. Yes. And that's what I tell all of my clients. And anytime someone gets on a consult with me, it's like, Hey, we are building tools. And I'm sure you do the same thing, like tools that last a lifetime, Yes, not just about infertility, not just about sex. It's about everything, like every aspect of your life, every single thing. Yeah. 
So let's kind of switch gears and talk a little bit about motivation and desire, which are (laughs) two big hot topics. And so often during infertility, we find ourselves lacking desire and motivation after what seems like the millionth day in a row, you have to have sex in order to try to make that baby. And that motivation becomes less and less about the connection with your partner and more and more about the unborn baby or the trying to make the baby. And it often feels like sex is just like a means to an end. So how do you reverse this pattern and get your desire and motivation back, especially during that like ovulation week? Yeah, for sure. So I think it's important the way that I like to help, um, you know, with my clients and distinguish is I look at motivation and desire kind of as two different things. So motivation is the thing that helps us be willing to, right? So it's like a willingness or like I'm I can I'm getting myself to take action. Let's put it that way, right? And desire is an eagerness. So it's like I want this thing. I want you. I want, you know, to have your penis in me kind of thing, right? Like desire is more of like this, okay, now we're going and we're like more eager. It's like more of that turned on sort of feeling. And it's really helpful to distinguish these two things because your motivation might be a lot of different things, right? Your motivation might be to make the baby. The motivation might be like, I'm just willing to have sex because I do want this connection. You can have motivation without desire, right? We can get ourselves into action. And sometimes the type of motivation that we have is going to impact our ability to have desire. So if you feel like you should all the time, right? Like, oh, I should, or we should have sex because we're ovulating right now. You can even hear in my tone. It's like, well, that's yeah. Okay. Maybe that's going to get me into action because I feel like I should, but that should is the opposite thing of desire. That does not make me eager to, right? No, not at all. Right. Like if you're thinking to yourself, yeah, I should have sex right now. It's that time of month. Like, how do you feel in your body? Yeah. Not desiring, right? It feels sinky. It feels like like cringy and like you're dragging your feet to the bedroom. So I think it's helpful when you're thinking of your motivation, like understanding it's okay sometimes to have shoulds, but that that's, I mean, not that it's normal, right? Like all humans do, we all are going to have these thoughts that pop into our head. I should, I need to, we better do it right now. We sometimes, even when we're not trying, it's out of guilt for our partner something like that. Right. But so that's the first kind of bucket to look at. Like, what am I, what's the thing getting me into action? And is it only this thing that feels heavy in my body and a should? So how can we begin to tweak that a little bit to feel more neutral? And it doesn't have to be to the place where you're super excited, right? Like we're not trying to deny the situation and what's going on and that this is challenging, but the tone is a little bit more supportive. It's not like, oh, you have to do this now, Danielle. It's like, hey, I can see you're struggling with this a little bit, but we know that this is our time of the month and we know that this is a chance for us to connect again. So let's go ahead and give it a try. 
Like even just that small change in the way you're speaking to yourself for that motivation piece is going to be a game changer. Does that make sense? No, that totally makes sense. And even when you're saying it in your tone of voice, you can, I can like feel like the shoulds with like the heaviness and that kind of like guilt versus like, Hey, maybe we should try Maybe we could try this out. Like give it a try. Like that curiosity, that openness, like the willingness. The willingness in a different way, right? It's the difference of like, I'm willing versus I'm making myself or I'm forcing myself. And I think so many people get into that forcing. And I know I have Mm -hmm. in the past, like in that forcing, making myself, okay, Jewel, like, let's Let's get (laughs) on. Yeah. It's like, let's go, let's do this. So just notice, like, I I think it's less, we, we focus so much on the words and I think it's less important, the words that we're saying, the actual sentence, rather than the energy that that sentence is impacting on your body, right? That tone. It's just like, you know, the way that I speak to my children, I could say the same thing in multiple different tones and one tone is going to end up in tears and one tone is going to be like, okay, mom, no problem. Right. You know, So it's like learning that, that, that is the beauty of like the human voice and the way that we can do this is we can talk in a tone that's going to create a different response in your body. So learning how to use the tone of your speech to, to at least make it more inviting. Again, we don't have to go to this place where you love it, but it doesn't want to be like this. Like my shoulders are just, you can't see me. I'm not on camera for you, but like my shoulders are like curling in, you know, and like crunching in and you're just like, okay, this is something I should do. Yeah. Yeah. And that's like such a good point. The tone and the words don't really matter. And I, that just like brought up a memory for myself is like thinking about my husband and trying to get him motivated to like have sex the time of the month and like speaking to him in that kind of like, Hey honey, like we need to do this right now. Like, let's get going. Like we should like we should do this. Like, come on. And yeah. I remember talking to my husband in that way. And obviously, like it was a disaster. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> but like that tone is not only so important with yourself, but also like with your partner. Yeah. Um, and like how how the two of you are interacting, you know, during that time of the week. Totally, because that's gonna change the experience. Sex is so much more it's less about the action, right? I mean, it is about the action to make a baby, but the overall experience, if we're talking about enjoying it more, creating more connection, it starts way before you actually have sex. Like the way you're bringing up, the way you're speaking to yourself, the way that you think about it, when you look at your calendar in the morning, you're like, okay, today we, today's one of the days. It's like, oh, today is one of the days. Okay. We're going to give it a try today versus like, uh, today's one of the days, right? It starts in all of these small micro moments that add up so that when you're looking at taking action, when you're looking at your motivation, it's going to feel different. The whole experience will feel different when you've learned how to speak to yourself, not just with the words, but with your tone. Yeah. Yeah. And that's like a perfect transition to my next question of like, how do you transition from like a full day of work, go, 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 that stress to like a session of scheduled sex? 
Yeah. Well, I'm going to put these two together with the desire piece because I realized I talked about motivation and not, <laughs> not desire, right? So I'm going to put these both together. So I think that it's important to understand that for desire to kind of bubble up, right? For that eagerness to bubble up, we really have to have space for it. And if you've had a really hard day, if you've had a really full day, then you're likely in a stress cycle. That's what we call it. Like your body is tense, you're stressed. And then if you are like, oh, there's this one more thing we have to do that comes back to like, that's going to create more pressure. That's going to put tension on top of tension and it's never going to be good. (laughs) Let's just put it that way. It's just like pressure never creates pleasure. And so just understanding, like, I like to just think of it as like, you know, you're checking like the gauge on your car, right? Like, where am I right now? Like, am I am I stressed? Am I worried about making a baby? Am I, you know, feeling it from like all the stuff that happened in the day, what's going on in our country, like kind of just like a check in, like, where am I at? And that will just give you a good gauge of perhaps what needs to happen before you have sex. I like to think of it and what I call it is like the bridge to the bedroom. So you've got your day and then you've got, you know, sexy time and you've got this like bridge. So what do you need? And it might be different each time. Sometimes you might not need a big bridge. Other times you might feel really worked up. And so creating kind of a list, I have like my clients create and we brainstorm like an appropriate list for them of the types of things that they could do to get out, like wash off the day and relieve stress, you know? So it might be, you know, for me walking and hiking, if I've had a lot of like energy and anxiety, you know, taking a bath just to calm down meditation, deep breathing, you know, if you're not feeling like really flirty or connected at all, I think dancing is always fun. Not even with your partner, just by yourself, like get your hips moving, you know, these sorts of things to help your body like metabolize and get that stress out of there. This isn't a moment where you're working on your thought work, right? So I'm sure Jewel has talked to you a lot about your mindset and your thought work, which is all important for this whole journey. But when you're stressed, you don't talk yourself out of stress. Stress is a physiological response in your body. You have to meet it in the body and get it out that way. And then once you do that, then it's just you know, hopefully you have been doing your thought work and your mindset work and then it's easier, right? Sometimes we do need a little bit extra, but it's like, you're already working on that stuff. So then it's connecting with your body, connecting in with pleasure. And as far as desire goes, you know, one thing I think that's really important for women in particular to understand is that most of us, I mean, it changes throughout our life, but most of us are in this like 80% camp of what's called responsive desire, which means that in order for us to feel eager to have sex, that we need to be able to actually kind of get things going, like get the juices flowing, get in the mood, be a little bit turned on first. And so that means that we have to put ourselves in a position to be able to get turned on. (laughs) So that's where that motivation comes from. It's like the motivation 
for that action to get there and then to not just go straight to the sex, to go to the making out, to go to, you know, the kissing or maybe the oil and the massaging and the relaxing and, you know, these sorts of things to help like your body get into the mood for making love, not just making a baby. Yeah. I think that's so important, making love versus just making the baby. And that's a big distinction there. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, you asked this question um, earlier, or you mentioned it in your, your intro is like, how do we not be so focused on the outcome? And I think this is so important. And it's something that I teach, you know, even with orgasms, like so many women create so much pressure because they feel like they have to orgasm, right? It's the same kind of thing. When we're really attached to an outcome, we're focused the whole time during the act, trying to do all the right things to make sure we get the outcome we want, rather than creating a different type of goal, let's say. So if you Mm -hmm. focus on creating a different type of goal and then just think, well, maybe this is going to end in orgasm and maybe it's going to end in a baby, but that's not really my goal. So you help yourself redefine success. Like I'm going to feel really good about this session. If I stay in my body, if I focus on what feels good, if I focus on pleasure, then I'm going to feel really good about this. And then that is such a good thing. It's like an anchor for your mind that you're not like, are we doing it right? Are we going to, you know, is this making a baby? Is he the right angle? Blah, blah, blah. Like you're just like, oh yeah, that's not my goal. Okay. Am I in my body? No, I was just in my head. Okay. Back to my body. Yes. Like back into my body. Yes. Like, okay. I want to settle back in here get back in my body and those sorts of things. Because the only reason that we spin out during sex is because we're in our brain and not in our body. So it's a good thing every single time to be like, come back to my body, come back to my breath, come back to pleasure and just gently lead yourself back in and really just land there. Yeah, that is, that is so important. And thank you for addressing that question as well, because that's like a, that's like a big one. And often one of the things my clients really struggle with is just that, how do we set ourselves up for success in this situation? Like, okay, maybe redefine our goals a little bit. So that's perfect. Yeah. Redefine success. Yeah. And so I know infertility can bring up and equate the feeling of shame with sex Mm -hmm. a lot. Mm -hmm. Shame for not being able to conceive naturally, shame for feeling like something is wrong with your body, shame for not enjoying sex while you're trying Mm -hmm. to conceive. Like what advice would you give to women who experience shame around sex? Um, First, I'd be like, of course you do. Really? Mm -hmm. You know, I think the first thing that we want to do is when we identify that feeling of shame is like get rid of it. And we almost shame ourselves for having shame. And I think it's really important first to take a moment to be like, of course, I feel this way. Like, of course, I feel, you know, judgmental of my body because I really want a baby and my body isn't, you know, performing the way I want, like, of course. And just with like your hand on your heart and connecting yourself and being so soft and loving and like accepting of the emotion that is coming up. 
that's always the first step. Like we really want to, you know, oftentimes just go straight to the thing that's causing the shame and rework that. But the fact is, is, you know, just like the stress, but like the shame is already there. The shame is like, so hold space for the shame, like wrap that shame in so much love and just be like, oh, I see you. Of course you feel this way. Like this is a huge, like this is a struggle. This is really hard. And then what you do is you really remind yourself like other women struggle in this way too. I'm not alone. This is, you know, this is normal. This is a normal thing to be struggling with. Of course I'm feeling this way. And then reminding yourself that you love yourself. Like, I love you. I know this is hard, but let's keep going. And, you know, and trusting that things will work out just as they're supposed to. And just that gentle, like kindness and, you know, working towards yourself, because when you do that, then you create a safe environment for the shame. And then it can kind of move through you. Then it has this chance to disperse. And then, you know, work with Jewel, do your thought work, do whatever, right, to help identify those types of thoughts that are creating the shame. And I like to think of it as like, we have, um, you know, in the Western world, we call it clean pain and dirty pain. In Buddhist psychology, we call it like the first dart and the second dart or the first arrow and the second arrow. And, you know, that first dart is the things that happen by being a human being in this world. And then the second dart or the dirty pain are our reactions to that thing. And so usually it's those reactions to that thing it's our second dart that's creating the shame. So when you give yourself permission to feel that what you're actually going through is grief and heartache and, you know, um, longing and, you know, brokenheartedness and all of these sorts of things. And you give yourself self space to feel that, but you don't let it go to the second dart, which is then saying, it's never going to happen for you. You're broken. What's the matter with you? Your body sucks, whatever it is. When you keep it to that first start and really nurture yourself through that part, all these other like shame, shame arrows coming at you just don't have a chance because you've kind of stopped your brain there. You don't let it go down that rabbit hole. Yeah. And that's so important pointing out the clean versus the dirty pain. I don't think I've talked about that yet on the podcast, yeah, yeah. but it's like, it's a big one. And so many of my clients come to me with so much dirty pain because of all of the thoughts that they're telling themselves about the situation, about the the experience. Yeah. 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 So that's really important. Thanks so much for reminding us of that. Yes. And finally, let's talk about orgasms. I know we Mm -hmm. mentioned it a little bit earlier, but I feel like so often when you're trying to conceive, you're focusing so hard on the male orgasm Mm -hmm. that you kind of like the female one kind of gets lost. At least that's kind of been like my experience and my client's experiences um, while you're trying to conceive and how would you like remedy this or what would you suggest? Yeah. Well, I think first it's important to remember. It's like, this is why my podcast is called. It's my pleasure is like, 
our pleasure matters and it matters even when you're trying to conceive like you know and we're so focused on getting that sperm to the egg when you're trying to make a baby that you forget that the act of sex is also something that you're really wired to enjoy that this whole thing can be really really enjoyable and What I would say as far as that goes is to give yourself permission to not just jump to penis and vagina, like not just get to, you know, the intercourse part. There's so much emphasis on that, you know, even when you're not trying to make a baby, because we feel because of the way that we've been taught about sexuality from this male pleasure perspective, that that is the goal of sex is to end in penis and vagina is that is what we're aiming for, but that completely takes out how most women experience pleasure. Most women don't experience a lot of pleasure unless they're fully aroused by intercourse. They experience pleasure by much more external you know, touch. This is where our nerve endings are, you know, leading from our clitoris to the rest of our vulva and down through our lips. So it's, it's important to remember this, like the actual anatomy, the female anatomy is not it's challenging to experience, not impossible, but it's challenging sometimes for a lot of women to experience pleasure with just simply intercourse. And so spending more time in you know, we call it foreplay. I don't even like to call it that because for us, like that is the main meal. <laughs> that really is point. <laughs> like, that is it. Like, this is not for, for any, like, it's, it's like for me play. <laughs> calling it foreplay from now on. Thank you. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's like for me play and, you know, and doing that, allowing yourself to like, enjoy it, slow down. Don't rush to this other bit. There's plenty of time for that. And to be in the moment to experience pleasure, to maybe even have orgasm before you let him get inside of you. And that is just such a fun way to like, you're going to create so much more like just juiciness and pleasure and deliciousness when it's not just so focused on the intercourse piece, knowing that that's going to happen, but you're doing all these things. Like you might as well like experience it, like get yours woman. (laughs) Amen to that. So Danielle, how can people learn to have better sex and work with you on a deeper level? Because I think many people would want to. Oh, well, I have a a group coaching program. So I'm not doing one-on-ones anymore, but I have a group coaching program called Better Sex. So it's, you know, this is such a safe, fun container for other women. And, you know, it's interesting because so many women I talk to that want to do it, they're so worried about talking about sex, obviously, in this very intimate thing that they already have a lot of awkwardness and embarrassment. And I going to be so different from everyone else, like in a group of women. And then they walk away at the end, like, you know, everybody's exchanging all of the information and let's set up our own Facebook page and doing all this stuff because you fall so in love with the group. The group container itself is such a magical thing because there's nowhere that we get to openly speak about these topics and being able to be seen when we have shame, right? Doing that vulnerability work of like, I haven't had sex with my husband in like 
you know, years, that kind of thing just like helps so many people move through and heal quicker because it just removes all of that shame by putting a voice to it and putting a voice into a group. And the other thing I love about this group is, you know, I can say all day long, like, you're not alone. This is so normal. And my clients kind of roll my eyes. They're like, yeah, sure. You're just saying that Danielle, but then they see their whole like cohort and every single woman is saying the same thing. They're like, Oh, I really am not alone. This isn't a me thing. I'm not broken. And just that true belief that I'm normal is the most transformational belief you can have fertility or not when it comes to your sexuality. Yeah. I remember when I found a group of other women who were struggling with infertility and I was like, oh wait, like this isn't just a me thing. Like, so I can see how that's such a powerful experience. And I will link all of your information, your website, your Instagram, everything like that in the show notes. So people can get in touch with you and learn more about your program. Yeah. Awesome. Yes. Sounds good. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here today, Danielle. And it was like such a pleasure to speak with you. (laughs) Well, it was my pleasure. I loved it. Thanks for having me and just sending everyone that's listening all of the love on your journey. If you love the podcast and if you have liked what you have heard so far, I would love it if you could leave me a five-star rating and a review. Reviews help others find this podcast and help them get the strategies that they need to thrive during infertility. Remember to hit subscribe so you don't miss an episode. But maybe you want to take this work to a deeper level. I have the perfect coaching program for you. Go to www.simplyjewel.com forward slash empowered infertility To learn more about my signature one-on-one coaching program, Empowered Infertility in 90 Days, and apply to work with me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Infertility Life Coach Podcast. See you next time.